This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. Hey everyone, welcome back to episode 149 of the Laravel News Podcast. I am joined by my wonderful co-host, Mr. Michael Dorinda in the Hobbit Hole over in Aussie land. Hello. How's it going, my friend? Hello, hello. It's going well. It's going well. We uh, I just jiggled myself around here on the camera. We just had a last minute technical malfunction. With all the cameras this dodgy, you got uh, over there. You got like three cameras pointing <laughs> at your face. Just yeah, trying to figure out which one, one of them camera two. works. Camera two, Michael. Camera two. Camera <laughs> it's um yeah the the usb cable that i had plugged into the camera was a little bit flaky so it kept on like connecting disconnecting connecting disconnecting so mm. and that happened like 10 seconds before we were about to to go live on on the on the on youtube the stream so yeah yeah and uh, i don't have that problem because yeah. i'm still just using the little macbook pro camera came with my laptop right just that's right. The, you know that's, that's right, right there so eventually someday <laughs> Someday I'll get the better set up. Yeah, one day. But that day mm-hmm. is not today. So until then, you guys will have to deal with the finger-smudged MacBook Pro. Because, you know, as soon as you go to lift up your laptop lid, it's like your thumb yeah, goes you right it. on there. And so it's just, right. you know, it's part of the deal. But it is what it is. Hey, uh, mm-hmm. speaking of shout-outs, who do we want to shout-out at the beginning of the show here? Shout-outs this week for our friends at Honey Badger. Yes, yes. Uh, they do the old error reporting, cron monitoring, uptime monitoring, all that good stuff that helps you sleep better at night alongside your test suite. So we'll talk a little bit more about them later in the show. And they do a really freaking good job too. So thanks for sponsoring the show, the show, Honey Badger. Glad to have you on as sponsors. Well, folks, we've got, as always, a couple releases, two to be exact, along with some exciting news about the Laravel Forge CLI, some Alpine stuff, then some packages, and of course, some community links. Wouldn't be complete without some community links. So we'll talk about all those things. Let's get started with 8.54. Michael, you were the one who had to dig around in GitHub to get the uh, changes here. So why don't you Mm -hmm. take the honors on the first one of the show today? Yes, 8.54 was released uh, a couple of weeks ago, even though this GitHub says it was three days ago. I suppose that's when the tag came through. But there were a couple of choice bits in there that I picked out that that I thought looked pretty good. The first is a change made by Dries Vince which is to basically port the uh, Fidelipa Trusted Proxies package into Laravel Core. It's it's functionally the same. It does the same thing in the same way. It's just one less dependency that you need to install into your applications and, and all of the overhead that comes with that. So um, that's now in there. There's no changes that you need to make to your existing applications. New applications will, will likely support it out of the box moving forward. But if you wanted to drop a dependency in your application, if you're on Laravel 8.53, and above, you can simply remove that Fidela Trust Proxies package dependency and swap over to using the Laravel framework or the Illuminate components. So check that out if that's something you want to do. It's something I'm going to look at for one of my projects, just trying to keep that deploy bundle size down a little bit to keep under the, the Vapor limits uh, or the, the AWS Lambda limits. So nice. check that one out. The, the next one we have here is a pull request from Cigar Naliapara, which was to add a without trashed method on the exist rule. So if you were to do your validation to make sure 
um, that that a an ID exists or an email address exists or something like that in your database, um, by default it does a, a where null deleted at. So it won't won't check your soft deleted records, which means that, for example, if you have an email address that is uniquely constrained in your database and you're not explicitly excluding that from your your uh, exists rule then you might run into database exceptions if you have a collision on an email address. So this is basically a rule, colon, colon, exist, and then the table name, and then arrow without trashed, and then that will account for that for you there. So thanks to Cigar for that one. And the third and final one I have here is an attempts method that has been added to the rate limiter. So you can currently use attempt from the rate limiter to execute a callback if it is available there is a fourth argument, which is decay seconds that defaults to 60. And this just simply wraps the too many attempts and hit methods in one call, which is uh, essentially syntactic sugar for running a wrapper around uh, those two things. So if the shortcut fails, false is returned. Otherwise, it returns the result of a callback or true if the result is null, which allows the developer to programmatically proceed if the call wasn't executed. So this, this effectively simplifies the rate limiter usage into one method that's easy to understand rather than having to make separate calls and, and, and cluttering up uh, any any places that you're using that rate limiter. So definitely check that out if you have had to do that in the past. Uh, that is from Dark Ghost Hunter uh, Italo. So check those out. We'll have links to all of that in the show notes, especially as I made a meal of reading that last one out on the fly, as is often the case. Very nice. 8.55 comes with conditional validation rule support as well as trashed routes to include soft deleted records. So let's talk about this. So Taylor actually put out a tweet on August 11th saying, give me a Laravel paper cut, uh, which is defined as a small thing that could be fixed to provide a nice developer experience improvement. If you've been using Laravel for much time at all, you know that this is something that makes the framework go from good to really good or from good to great. This is why so many people love using Laravel is because Taylor loves to take care of all these little inconveniences that add up at the end to a really good developer experience. So um, if you haven't gotten a chance to look at that thread, there's a lot of really good ideas and features that the community is thinking about. Um, And so not all of them mentioned are suitable for pulling into the framework, but there's some really interesting ideas in there. So a couple of them that were added in is conditional validation rule support. So hat tip Tim McDonald on this one. He had some ideas and some contributions around this. What this basically does is it introduces a new rule uh, that will only evaluate validations when the first argument evaluates to a truthy statement. So you use it as, again, if you want to really know how to use it, you should definitely take a look at the blog post here. But if in your validations, you have a password is required, and then it also has to be a string, then you can add a a third rule that would say rule colon colon when, and then as the first argument, you pass a truthy something, right? It's going to evaluate to true, or it's going to evaluate to false. And then as your second argument, you would pass then a second array of values for your validations. So something like min colon five or confirmed, right? So it could be that if they're setting up a password for the first time, then you don't need to have a confirmed or let's say, you know, if it's if it's the resetting up the password, then it does need to be uh, confirmed, right? You need to, to type it twice. Uh, you could check mm-hmm. that when you're doing the rule when 
And then you could, if that's true, then you could then pass your, yep, you have to confirm it in the case that you're resetting a password, but you don't have to when you're first setting your password, right? So you could do that uh, that way. That's just a single example, but there's plenty of them out there, I'm sure. Uh, so that's something that could be really helpful. Uh, going along with that, without trash that you talked about with 840, uh, 8.54, 8.55 contributes the ability for routes that are doing uh, implicit model bindings. So I'm just going to talk about this real quick for those of you who maybe don't know what this is. If you have uh, a route and it includes in it a value, and then inside of your controller, you type in that value to a model, what it will do is it will try and look up that model using the value that's provided in that route. So that's called implicit route model, model binding. You can also do it explicitly. You can resolve uh, a particular model out of the database when it's passed in as a value through your route using a uh, explicit query. But if you don't, it just looks it up by the key that is defined within your model, which is going to be by default, the ID. So that's what implicit route model binding is. But by default, it will not resolve soft deleted models when it's doing its resolving. So again, you could buy that, bypass that by being explicit, but you could also do route post user and then passing your user. And then inside there, you can say with trash, like on the route itself, at the very end, you could say with trash. And what that will do is it'll say, when you're doing your model, implicit route model binding, go ahead and allow for trashed values to be looked up as well. Instead of excluding them when you're mm -hmm. doing the lookup, go ahead and include those trashed values as well. So you can get more information about that in pull request 38348 if you want some more details about that. Taylor also contributed convenience methods for getting subsets of valid data from a validator. So if you have a form request in your controller, or if you just have some validation rules and you say something like valid this validate or, you know, request validate, it will just give you back the set of um, validated values from that request into like a data variable. Uh, so basically, the idea with this pull request was that he wanted to add some convenience methods around getting only certain keys or everything except certain keys. So now you could call something like form request arrow safe, meaning validate and give me the ones that are safe. And then you can arrow only or you could arrow except and then you could pass the array of values that you want to get off of the request. So say only give me these ones or give me everything except for these ones. And so that's new uh, in 8.55. And then lastly, Andrew Minion contributed stringable support for str so it's the string helper str colon colon is uuid so before you'd have to say string is uuid uh, and then you would have to pass a yeah so th those stringables let's see is that right so you have that stringable object where you say a, string of yeah. and then you pass in it used the to be value a, it used to be a boolean check like it was a static method or it was a method that was called statically on the string class to determine if some value uh, was the stringable is yep. yeah correct so now you can just do string of uh you know dollar file name after slash before dot is uuid whereas before you had to wrap that whole thing mm -hmm. inside of the is uuid method yep 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 so now it's basically like a chainable method onto the end of that rather than something that you have to mm -hmm. sort of instantiate at the very at the very front correct yep very cool uh again uh you know, if you're having a hard time visualizing exactly what we're talking about, you're not alone. That is pretty much everybody ever. 
it's really hard to read code and make it have it make sense on here. So, uh, of course, we'll fl- we'll uh, link that up for you in the show notes. Uh, that's Laravel eight dot fifty five. Okay, what else we got, my friend? Next up, Laravel Forge have launched their first official <coughs> command line tool that gives you a nice set of commands to manage your Forge servers, sites, and more. Installation is done through the use of a Composer Global installation. So you can do Composer Global require Laravel slash Forge dash CLI, and after installed, you have the Forge function available in your terminal. So the first release, version one of the Forge CLI, contains about 30 different commands, including the ability to initiate deployments, view application logs, configuring SSH key authentication, and more. Um, in this article, we talk more about it. Uh, oh, sorry, in the article, we talk about the release of it. If you want to know more about the, the package itself, the, the command line tool, you can check out the official documentation for more details. I have been using it quite a lot to, to do deployments, but also to be able to SSH so I don't have to remember IP addresses and things like that. Most of my sites, because they sit behind Cloudflare, I can't get the IP address of that site by doing a, a DNS lookup because it's mm-hmm. going to return me the the IP address of the the cloud the Cloudflare load balancer so I can't SSH to it. So being able to just do a forge server switch and then forge... SSH to get into those servers as and when needed is very handy. It's one of my favorite favorite bits of using the the tool. So definitely check that out. Congratulations to to Nuno for for the work that he did on on putting that all together. He turned that around in like two weeks and then went on vacation. So that's pretty him. awesome. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I've been, I've used it a couple of times. That works really well. I've also been using FBar for a long time, which is helpful as well. If you've not used that before and you're more of a uh, toolbar sort of person rather than a CLI sort of person. You might check that one out. It's by Jan Oostland. He's been really kind in giving us licenses to give away before. And uh, maybe we'll have some for you next time we're on the show as well. Uh, but FBAR as well as the Forge CLI is uh, both really, really great. Okay. Up next, Alpine.js. Ever heard of it? It is a little JavaScript library by Caleb Porzio. Uh, which is just amazing. There's no build step required. You just drop it in with a CDN and it does all this magic for you. So since the launch of Alpine JS version three, uh, Caleb has promised and released three new first party plugins. The new plugins each take something that's annoying or confusing to maintain in JavaScript and make it much simpler to implement with a few custom attributes inside of your Alpine HTML. I say Alpine HTML because it's all in your HTML. The JavaScript is just a tiny little part. And then you just inject all your, uh, you know, you just use HTML attributes to hook into all this stuff. It's pretty magic. And the cool thing is with Vue 3, uh, or it's not Vue 3, with version 3, you now have this ability to do these plugins, to push these plugins in. They're not core to the product, but you can add them in quite easily, right? So we're going to talk about all three of them. The first one is the Intersect plugin. Uh, so if you've ever had to try and figure out when the user's viewport is either interacting, like if it's showing a particular div or if it's just entering a particular div or it's leaving a particular div, whether that's to lazy load an image or whether that's to cause an animation to happen, whatever that might be, um, there's all sorts of crap implementations of it. But there is an actual API called Intersection Observer now, which you can read about over on MDN. Uh, but it basically provides a way to asynchronously observe changes in the intersection of a target element with an ancestor element or with a top-level document's viewport. And so basically, this plugin makes it much easier and really intuitive to implement UI patterns like infinite scrolling, lazy loading images, or animating elements like we said before. 
Uh, and so to use the plugin, you just follow the simple installation instructions. Then all you have to do is add the x-intersect attribute onto any element. And then once the viewport interacts with that value, not sorry, that value, but that div or that whatever it is, that HTML element on your page, you can then fire a callback that will uh, be executed at that point. So there's things like uh, only do it when it's entering that value, like when the viewport's entering that div, only do it when it's leaving, when the viewport's leaving that div. And then there's also a modifier of once. So you can say only animate like the first time, right? Only do the callback the first time this happens, uh, which of course mm-hmm. would be pretty prudent because you wouldn't want it to be jumping around on the screen every time you enter and leave. You just kind of want it to happen the first time, give them a nice little interaction and then mm-hmm. move on. So that's that's the first one. So intersect, pretty cool. Second one is persist. So that basically provides a new magic method for integrating your Alpine data set, that's the data that you're providing to so your little Alpine uh, component, and dropping it into local storage. So again, to, to use it, you just have to install it, and then you wrap your initial data values in a dollar sign persist uh, little wrapper there. And then Alpine will know to persist those values uh, and any updates to those values, it'll drop those all into local storage. And then on subsequent page loads, Alpine will then pull those values back out of local storage instead of initializing them with the default values. You can imagine something that you'd want to persist across pages, maybe something like um, you've possibly seen, and this would probably be a better example of like an SPA where you have like an MP3 player of, uh, of a song that plays across mm-hmm. multiple pages, right? But if you're going to kind of re bring up an Alpine component on a following page and you want it to be able to pick up where it left off you can persist these values now into local storage and then once that component loads back up it'll grab those values back out of local storage and uh, basically instantiate it with those values that it was left off with the last time you mm. you were they were on the page um this is pretty i can cool. think of a great place to use that all, all sorts of great our, places at my last job in our crm if you're typing up notes and then you want to go and look at another page, mm-hmm. we we had the ability to to basically save those notes. So as, as you were jumping around between different parts of that customer's profile, you wouldn't lose the things that you had already entered. So being able to do that would be, I mean, obviously we had done it, but this being able to do it like this as just using the the dollar persist method on uh, on the X data property is just so much simpler than what we had to implement to get it to work for us. Yeah, and you can think too of like times where. There's actually a library I used to use called Sisyphus. Uh, Sisyphus is like this Greek mythology sort of deal with this dude that was like cursed to roll a stone up a hill for his whole life or something, right? You roll a stone up the hill, it comes back mm-hmm. and rolls, whatever. Anyway, it was basically what it would do is if somebody was on your form filling it out and they accidentally clicked the back button or something, it would mm-hmm. have saved it in local storage. And when they come back, it says, hey, looks like you were in the middle of something. Do you want to resume where you left off sort of deal, right? Uh, this persist reminds me of that. It could be implemented for that. And the cool thing about it too is you can pass your own custom key that you want it to be stored in local storage as. So you could mm-hmm. say something like uh, you could use the ID of the user that you're trying to update so that if they changed mm-hmm. users, it's not going to repopulate that form value with something that was for a different customer like what you were just saying, Michael. Yep. Right. So yep. you can you can pass custom keys in and so it'll only pull that if you're on the correct page. So I mean, there's a ton of different ways that you could use this form. Uh, you know, form stuff is just one. Uh, there's there's plenty of others. Uh, but again, this is this makes doing that very very simple and uh, super intuitive. It's really nice. I've looked through some of the documentation as well. Um, it looks great. The last one is the trap plugin. So this provides a simple way to trap focus 
inside of elements like modals and other dialogue elements. This is a, uh, really beneficial for users that are uh, using screen readers or navigating around with a keyboard. Uh, you can imagine, you've probably had this before, where you'll be in a modal and you'll tab off and it will focus to something underneath the modal on the main page. For a screen reading user, that could be really difficult. So again, using this, it's really simple. Install it and then add the X trap attribute to your modal or your dialogue element. And then anytime the expressions that's passed to X trap evaluates to true, the plugin will trap focus inside of that element, not allowing uh, focus to be directed anywhere else except for that element. So when X trap is true, so if you have like some modal input or something, X trap equals true. So you're saying show the modal. So you're saying, okay, only allow them to focus in on these uh, this element or these elements. It will it will help do that for you. So one really nice aspect of the plugin is that it also works recursively, which means that if you have nested dialogue elements, Alpine will trap focus inside each one, then return the focus to the previous one as they're closed. So it's something would be really tedious to do in your own code without the plugin, but again, just makes it really simple. I've probably taken too long explaining all of these, uh, but <laughs> very nice. Uh, Jason Beggs wrote this one up for us. Uh, so thanks, Jason, for taking a look at that. I uh, see his regular work and interaction with uh, the Alpine stuff and and Livewire as well. So uh, Mr. Tallstack himself, Jason Beggs, thanks for writing that up, Jason. We appreciate it. Jake, let's face it, your code is going to have errors and even code written by an amazing developer such as yourself. When errors happen, it's nice to know that Honey Badger has your back. Honey Badger makes you a DevOps hero by combining error monitoring, uptime monitoring, and check-in monitoring into a single, easy-to-use platform. They'll send you alerts in real time with all the context that you need to see what's causing an error and where it's hiding so you can quickly fix it and get on with your day. The included uptime and cron monitoring also lets you know when your external services are having issues or your background jobs go missing or silently fail. Check out why the self-funded HoneyBadger.io from Star, Josh, and Ben is the perfect solution for you. They're not beholden to any venture capital overlords. They will do exactly what you, the Laravel developer, need them to do. Check them out. They're at honeybadger.io. Thank you for sponsoring the show. Very nice. Thanks, Honey Badger. Again, we appreciate you. And uh, the one other thing I was going to say, as I said last show, is that Mr. Uh, TJ Miller wrote the SDK for their API. So if you have any complaints or feature requests for that, talk to that dude. He's he was the man behind the plan on that one. And uh, I've I've looked at the code. It's really pretty. So you should definitely check that out as well. Got a really great API and really mm-hmm. great SDK to go along with it. Okay. Hey, let's talk about regex helpers, shall we? Michael, have you had to uh, hand write any regex helpers in the last little bit? Yep. 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 They're fun times, aren't they? Mm. Mm-hmm. Especially when they don't quite do what you want. Yeah. You got to pull out that cheat sheet and figure out like, is that... Does that plus mm-hmm. mean one or more or zero or one? Or what does mm-hmm. that mean? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Right. So Adam Campbell, uh, who is uh, on a is hot meteor on GitHub and on Twitter, says, if you're like me and you're a Laravel user and despise fiddling with common regex patterns, common being the keyword here, then I have something for you. Introducing regex, a set of ready-made regex helper methods for use in your app. So it comes with common regular expression patterns that are ready to match and replace against values, supports case insensitivity, Unicode characters, and supports all languages. So here's some of the examples. So you have is alpha, is alphanumeric, is alpha dash, is digits, is numeric. Um, you also have replace. So you can say regex alpha, and so you could say replace any alpha numeric characters with, and then you can pass in something to replace those with. 
or alphanumeric or alpha dash or digits or numeric, right? And you also have access to the underlying match and replace methods for common, uh, I'm sorry, for custom patterns. Um, so you've got a replace interface, a match interface, and you can learn more about the package. You get full installation instructions at hotmeteor slash regex, github.com slash hotmeteor slash regex. Nice job, Adam. Thanks for taking the pain out of some of those. And I'm assuming there may be a couple more. Let me see if there are a couple more other than those ones. This digits is UUID. Yeah. Yep. He's got some good ones in there. So check that out, folks. Check it out. Check it out. Always need help with that regex stuff. Beautiful. API version control is a package by Rinder Vetter, which is designed to manage versions of API endpoints elegantly. This package provides a configuration file where you define the releases and the version capabilities, and later you can use things like version statements to determine the capabilities of specific versions of your API. The package has two ways to manage the versions of your API endpoints using the, one of the, the techniques, either a version statement or version middleware. Version statements include classes that mix in the version statement trait, and then you can determine if the API code to be executed without checking a particular version of the API everywhere in your code. So instead of doing request version is at least, you can do validate, uh, you could do a version statement class directly. So validate zip code, for example, permitted. Hmm. Interesting. Um, and then it then you use the version statement trait in there. And if the API version that is being called is is supporting that trait, then or that functionality, then off it goes. And the version middleware will take it a step further, processing all requests and responses differently from the latest version in the middleware. So this is really handy. I, I know that Stripe does this kind of thing where it does version pinning, where they never make any backwards breaking changes in their APIs. They will always serve you the, the, the version of the API that you basically joined at, and it will always get that unless you explicitly go in and, and ask for a new version. So this is really handy if you're introducing functionality into a new version or you're making changes to some behavior or something like that, and you can say that this functionality is available only from version 1.1 or 2.3 or whatever. So you can definitely check uh, this one out, learn more about the package and get full installation instructions and view the source code on GitHub. I know that Matt Stauffer was talking about API versioning recently, I think. I think it was Matt. Sounds someone right. was. Maybe I shouldn't say I know because I don't know. But someone <laughs> on Twitter recently was asking about API versioning strategies. Uh, I know that Tom Schlick and TJ Miller were working on a Stripe, like something similar to Stripe where they, they pass those version headers around and do that pinning as well. So I'll try and dig that one up and link to that in the show notes as well. Yeah, that this is a difficult problem to solve. So I'm glad there's smart people out there who have been thinking about it and who have some really good ideas about how to do that. Okay, Laravel mail export is next. So this is a simple mailable trait and interface that exports emails to a storage disk once they're sent. So this package works by exporting any mail sent as a .eml file to a file system disk. And this is really good for all sorts of things, archival purposes, probably mostly. But there's an example from the readme of how to use this package, which includes implementing the should export interface. So you just take your mailable and at the very end, so you have a class order shipped, extends mailable. And now you say implements should export. And then you also use inside of the class, the exportable trait. You, um, in addition to that, you then can configure the mailable disk. So what the disk name that you want to store it is, where the path is going to be, and the file name that it gets stored at uh, via a class property. Or uh, you can do them a la methods, sort of like we do in a lot of Laravel uh, configurations. They provide a 
property that you can set or if the property isn't flexible enough and you need to be able to do some logic in there, you can actually uh, punt and use a method instead. So export mm -hmm. disk, export path, or export file name. Uh, so this is uh, pretty nice. I was thinking that there is one other... There's one other thing I need to be able to do that's not... It's the opposite of this. It's the other part of this, which is to get an incoming email and then be able to process it and handle all of it really well. Like we've got something that's built to do that where it like basically takes an incoming email and strips out the body and then strips off all the attachments and reads the headers and does all the stuff that it wants to do. It saves an incoming email mm -hmm. rather than saves an outgoing email, right? Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, the nice thing completely is... Like, different thing. Completely, completely different thing. thing. <laughs> completely different thing. But the nice thing is that this actually, when I was thinking about this, it saves it as a .eml file, which will include mm -hmm. any attachments all as one file right so you don't mm -hmm. it doesn't it doesn't save the body as one and then all the attachments as another the eml includes all of that all together in one big file uh so that's pretty nice um so if you need to be able to go back and do audits or something like that those email files will make that pretty easy very cool uh thanks very mm -hmm. much to wait for it wait for it wait for it here it is thanks very much to come on podpoint Clem Blanco. First time I heard of that. There you go. And James you go. and James Hudson. There you go, contributors. Thanks. Thanks, folks. Okay. Over to you. Immutability is the flavor of the month, it would seem. We've got Indeed. the, the IP, immutable IP address library for PHP, which is a package by Zan Baldwin. It is an immutable value object for handling both IPv4 and IPv6 addresses. The library includes several helper methods for IP ranges broadcast and network addresses, subnet masks, and whether an IP is of a certain type. Uh, I won't go through the brief example here, but you can basically create uh, IPv4 or IPv6 addresses and, and check whether they're valid. You can see whether, whether they're in a, in a particular range. You can see if they're for private use, uh, you know, if they're class A addresses and things like that. Um, you can get a compacted IPv6 address or an expanded address. You can get protocol appropriate addresses and binary representations as well definitely check out the documentation to get familiar with the package if you need to do any work with ip addressing especially ipv6 ipv4 is kind of everyone kind of gets v4 i think v6 is just i mean it it's all you know it makes sense but it doesn't make sense at the same time because it's just all those octets go right over my head so <laughs> if you do need to do anything with ip addresses yeah, exactly. then definitely check out this package thanks to zan for putting it together very cool Hey, we've got one uh, for those of you cool cats who are using HTTP client, the Laravel HTTP client instead of Guzzle. I guess maybe not instead of Guzzle. I mean, you are using it instead of Guzzle, but it's a, on top a, of Guzzle. On top of Guzzle. Thank you. That's really more what it is. So there's a package now called Laravel Blanket. And what this is, is a dashboard to view any of your HTTP client requests in a Laravel application. So now instead of just running Guzzle, and instead of running HTTP on top of Guzzle, you're now running Laravel Blanket on top of HTTP on top of Guzzle. So that's what it does. It basically works by wrapping <laughs> Laravel's HTTP client requests, so think of the decorator, and provides logs for all those requests and responses. The package persists the data in a database table uh, that comes with uh, a migration in the package. And you can even retry a request from the dashboard UI. So here's some of the features. You can filter by method type. So think post, put, patch, delete, etc. 
You can search by the URL that was requested. You can replay an HTTP request. You can view logs of the requests and responses. You can clear the logs. You can copy the request or the response to the clipboard. So this gives you a lot of tools uh, for checking out what exactly is going on. If you're having a user that's like, hey, I can't figure out why it's not working for me, you can go in and inspect what exactly is happening with the requests that are being made on their side. Of course, you can do this with something like Debug Bar or Sentry, but it could be helpful if you need something simple. So um, mm-hmm. pretty nice. And Paul Redman recommends it. So definitely check it out. Absolutely. Laravel Presentable is a package by Jonathan Zarate. Uh, that is used to create presenter classes for your eloquent models. Presenter classes allow you to separate display concerns from model data into a dedicated class. And so any eloquent model with a presenter class that has the has presentable trait and a presenter property defines the presenter class. Uh, So this allows you to take out all of your presentational methods, all of those places where you might be using attribute accesses and puts them into a distinct class. And I know that we've had a couple of these in the past. David Hemphill has got one. He does uh, Jeffrey Way has got one under the Laracast branding as well. The approach may be overkill, depending on the goals of your application, depending on how big it is, how many models you've got. However, if you do find that separating your view display logic into a dedicated presenter class makes sense, then this package may be an excellent fit. We'll include links to it into the show notes, as well as the Laracast and the Hemp presenter packages for you to check out and make your own decisions i feel like one of the things i really like about the hemp presenter package is the ability to not only have a single property that defines the class that's going to be used for the model for the presentation of that particular model but to be able to like swap in and out which presentation class you're going to use for that model right because it seems to me that like if you have the need for presenter it's likely that you're going to need to present that data in a couple different ways that's why you have a class specifically designed Mm -hmm. for that, right? So you may have, hey, this is how I'm going to present this class if it's a user seeing it. This is how I'm going to present the class if it's an admin seeing it. This is how I'm going to present the class if it's a manager seeing it, right? You may have different presenter classes. And so I know Hemp Presenter really optimizes for that, I believe. Mm. And that's really really useful. Yeah, That's a useful case. If you do, as you say, have different user classes in your application, rather than having to do all these conditional checks to see can my user see this? Can my user see that? Can my user see the other? You can just do the check. So you set the presenter at the time. So you have your presented model and say, you're an admin user, so we need to use the admin presenter. Um, Or you're a regular user and you need to use the regular presenter. And then if the user doesn't have access to say, seeing someone's phone number or address or whatever, you could just have those methods overwrite from the the parent and just return nothing. And so all of that conditional logic is done at the at the top level, you know, within your controller when you're setting that presenter. So that's a really handy, handy point there. Yep. 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 Good stuff though. Good good discussion to have about that. Okay. Uh let's see here. Did I already click on this one? I did. Laravel Cashier for Open Pay Billing Services. So Cashier Open Pay Package by Pedro Parafan provides an expressive fluid interface to subscriptions using which, by the way, if you've not used Cashier before, this is sort of what this is, right? It basically allows you to do billing and things like that using any number of different adapters that are out there. So they've got Stripe, they've got Paddle, they've got PayPal, they've got right all these different ones. But now you can use OpenPay billing services with Laravel. So if you've not used, mm-hmm. uh, if you're needing to use OpenPay and you've been waiting for support for it with Cashier, it's now here. So the package is set up by defining an OpenPay billable trait and then you can interact with OpenPay billing via a user model instance. Uh, 
So I was going to say here are some of the highlighted features, but honestly, you could just if you've used this before, if you've used um, you know cashier before, you kind of know the drill. It's new customers, existing mm-hmm. customers, delete customers, adding cards, deleting cards, managing bank accounts, refunds, transfers, etc. Right, and you can interact directly with the Open Pay PHP SDK. Um, so there you go. Check that out if you're using if you're waiting for Open Pay. There it is. It's now here. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I have a selection of fine community packages here. Uh, sorry, community articles, community links to go through. So last episode, we talked about building TypeScript interfaces for your Laravel models. This episode, we have a uh, an article from uh, Boris Lepkin that talks about using TypeScript, types, TypeScript? TypeScript with Laravel. So it goes into... And why you might use TypeScript, installing dependencies, setting up your TypeScript configuration and getting it working with Laravel Mix. If that is something that is of interest to you, both TypeScript and Laravel, check that one out. Also, previous episode, we spoke about using generators over arrays mm-hmm. from Doken. Uh, Doken. Doken.org, this one was. I forget Doken's name, so I will look it up. Doki. Doki Norg was his name. So... This one kind of goes into a bit more detail on that as well, talking about uh, more of a a step back and introducing what iterator functions are. So definitely check that one out if the generators over over arrays discussion tickled your fancy last episode. Uh, Yeah, so so did we talk about... Let's think about that. Yeah, last time we talked about generators over arrays. Is that what it was? That was the article we talked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now it's introducing iterator functions, right? So how does the... Mm -hmm array-like functions that will ease the use of iterators and generators. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that was an interesting... So I feel like I've read about these things, these generators, multiple times. And I know they're used around, like in uh, lazy collections maybe and things like that because mm-hmm. you've got yield instead of return and all this beautiful stuff. I'm still trying to wrap my head around it though. I think I, I, what I need is I need a really concrete problem that I can use them on and then do it. And then once I've used it, I think I'll understand a little bit better. Mm. Um, but I've, I've yet to use generators. Have you used them much? Not directly, no. I've used the lazy collections in a couple of places. But um, you've you've probably come across situations where you should use them and you didn't yes. know that you needed to or you yes. haven't. Mm-hmm. Um, anytime you're working with giant CSVs, which I know that you do, and anytime you're processing JSON arrays and things like that, generators are a good thing to look into. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Definitely, definitely go back and check out uh, old mate. What was his presentation at Laracon? Um, Joseph uh, Silver. Yep, Silver spoke about them. Yep. So, yep. Check, he's, check he's, that out. He's the man behind all the lazy collection stuff. He is. He certainly is. The two other articles or two other things that I've got here from the community links section: Laravel method injection. If you've ever wondered how that works um, and why in Laravel we typically never see instantiating of cloud like there's never a you know dollar thing equals new thing inside of laravel especially you know in in clean laravel in in air quotes there um this talks about how the the method level injection works and how you can get things to go in there we spoke about the explicit and implicit route model binding at the top of the show explicit route model binding isn't just for models you can bind really whatever you want there if uh, if you want to go down a rabbit hmm, hole true. of that's true excitement um yeah. so you could basically take those those 
query parameters and, and put whatever you want in there. I know that the, the Sparsity webhook package, for example, will bind a particular configuration object into the route based on that parameter. So it's, it's definitely something that you can do some creative things with if you think about it. The, the last thing that I have here is uh, it's a 10-day newsletter from um, Stitcher.io. Uh, this, this chap works at, works at Sparsi, and I forget mm-hmm. his name, and it's quite embarrassing. Uh, but he uh, writes a lot, a lot, of, a lot, a lot, a lot, Brent. a lot, a lot, a lot. Brent, his name is, yeah, Brent from Sparsi. So this is a, a 10-day email newsletter that I've gone through myself, which I, I found really interesting, is uh, the Road to PHP 8.1 which gets you up to speed on all of the new things that are coming or all the highlight features that are coming into the next version of PHP 8, which will be out in the next couple of months now. I think November is is when the, the final release is due. So this is a little primer to get yourself ready. There's a few things that I'm excited about in there that are going to clean up a bit of my code and make things a bit nicer. And and the enums are going to, sadly, for Sparsi, it's going to, Yep, I mean, I, I don't think they're mine because they're, yeah. they're all they're all about you know not having to maintain things. So having enums as a as a native language feature, I'm looking forward to. Very um, cool. Sad yeah. sad day having to get rid of that package from all of my apps, but I'd rather have it in the language. Let's I be agree. honest. I agree. I agree. Cool. That is that is it. That is the show. That's it, everybody. Episode one forty nine. Hey, thanks again for uh, hanging out with us for a little bit, and thanks again to Honey Badger. If you need uh, someone to help track your errors, you should definitely check them out. Thanks for sponsoring the show. We appreciate you. If you want to find show notes for this episode, you can find them at podcast.laravel-news.com slash one forty nine. If you liked the show, we would really appreciate it if you'd rate us up in your podcatcher of choice. That would be awesome. Five stars. And then, uh, of course, if you have any questions, hit us up on Twitter at Michael Dorinda, at Jacob Bennett, or at Laravel News. Hey, folks, it's been a pleasure. Until next time, my friends, episode 149, Laravel News. Peace out. Before we go, the, the Laracon oh, Online. Laracon Online is happening on the 1st of September. So before the next episode of this show, there will be a Laracon happening online. Tickets are, I don't know, $29, something like that. Check yep. it out at laracon.net. And last, last. Some great. Last, last Great speakers thing. lined up. Yes. Last, last thing. Last, last thing. If you're from Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota. Basically, if you're anywhere in the continental US and crazy enough to travel at this time, then yes. feel free to go and see Jake. Which Unless you're from Texas, are. Florida, you know, hey, all of you those know places. What? Texas, Florida, Don't you're welcome people. to. Yeah. You're, well, yeah. I mean, you're welcome to. <laughs> we had a, we had a, you know, had a Californian in this weekend, this week. So... Yeah, mm-hmm. good times, man. Good times. So yeah, you're welcome to come to our Bloomington watch party. It's going to be a blast. We're going to go do some top golf and get some amazing pizza the night before, and then we're going to watch Laracon speakers all day the next day. It's going to be awesome. Free breakfast, lunch. Bring and your masks and your vaccine passports. There you go. There you go. Yep. <laughs> and uh, if you don't have your vaccine, we'll stick you out the door. It's great. Just kidding. It's hey, it's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks again for hanging out with us. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye. Bye.